0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. I'm so very glad you're here. It's nice to see more and more of you coming. It's, I mean, I like that you're around in general, and you're at home or whatever. But I like, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. Um, big shout out, by the way, to Mr. Hank Taylor for doing a great job last week as he brought us a message about uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm so very grateful to Hank and. Hank has such a big heart. I'm grateful for him. I don't know why I'm emotional. <laughs> just like, get it together, Seth. Come on, be a man. I mean, don't cry, especially not in public. Um... I'm grateful to him and just everything that he does and everything that he's part of here, we're so lucky to have him. A um, couple things coming up in case you didn't see announcements or you haven't been around or paying attention or it's okay. Uh, we're doing this thing called Smile Boxes. This is in support of our mission that we support with Mr. Benny Baker and Mission Para Cristo And basically it's kind of like the Operation Shoebox type stuff if you don't know about it. But you get a box, you fill it, we have a list of what you fill it with and then we send it to Nicaragua to the mission that we support. And so uh, I think we're, we got a couple of weeks left on that if you haven't heard or don't know information is out there please look into that we want to send them a bunch of good stuff this year so it'll be it'll be pretty cool and then we also have um a big thing we're doing coming up in this fall and next uh, next month towards the end of next of October we're doing a virtual 5k we did an actual 5k last year this year because of everything it was just easier to do this kind of virtual component and so it's 5k it's the second to last week in October which is a couple of weeks from now you have this is like the easiest best of all things scenario for you to participate in it uh, you get a cool shirt you might even get a medal, which is fun, and then all of the proceeds to the to the run goes towards uh, Grace Mount Nutrition Center, which is another mission that we support in Haiti. Uh, some of our good friends, the Lincoln Hookers, they they run that and they focus on. Uh, pregnant mothers and mothers with newborn babies making sure they get the proper food and diet that they have. And so all that money will be going towards helping the Lincoln So We're excited for that. And, and the good news is you have like a week to do it. So even if you're like, oh, I don't really run. I can't. It's like three miles. You have a week, right? Like you can log your walk to the grocery store and back or what? You can do a half a mile every day for, you know what I'm saying? Like. So everyone can participate in this, so we encourage you to sign up for that and be mindful of it. And if you don't, you know, just write a check, we'll forgive you, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, the other thing is, in October, uh, we are doing a, a version of a trunk or treat that we're going to be up to, Mitchell and, um, not Chloe, uh, was it? Elise, the quants, uh, are, are putting together a kind of this uh, um, creative trunk or treat scenario that they're working on, so keep an eye out for that. It's going to be pretty cool, just to give the kids something to do. It won't be on Halloween, so if you're that's an issue, it won't be. All right, now you're all caught up, and now we can get to the good stuff. We are in our series called A Better Way: A Mountain, A Message, A Movement. We're in week six of ten weeks. And we're looking at the Beatitudes, the which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is like these essential teachings of Jesus, the stuff that he was continually talking to his disciples about. Uh, if you haven't been here just to kind of bring you up to speed, a few things that you need to be mindful of is the context. And the history of the scenario, because it's easy sometimes to read through the Beatitudes and just kind of buzz right through them and go, yeah, we get it. It's just this simple little thing. And the reality is, is there's so much going on in each and every one of these little one-line teachings. It's, It's crazy. It's deep. It's heavy. It's insightful. This is Jesus' plan for like a new way and a better way. This is what the kingdom should look like. Uh, Some of the historical context, just real quick, if you haven't been here, uh, you need to keep in mind that who Jesus is talking to, he's talking to uh, a people, a nation of Israel who is under Roman, uh, the oppression of the Roman Empire, so that's kind of a tough scenario. There's this super high taxation rate, you're talking 70, 80% taxation. You have this very strict uh, social structure that's in place where you have 20% of the people Controlling 75% of the stuff, the lands, the wealth, whatever, which means that 80% of the people are living off of 25% of whatever's left. And on top of that, you have this high taxation rate, so they're splitting 25%, but then being taxed on that. So it's kind of this, it's a very difficult, uh, difficult time, difficult situation. The system of this time tips in the favor of those who have. And then you have a guy like Jesus who is raised As the son of a peasant carpenter who becomes a rabbi, who begins to teach in a way that is different from how the world works, teach in a way that's different from how things are. He teaches like a whole new plan for a whole new world, and he begins to cause some problems because of it. So we move on today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, verse 7. It says this, "'Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy.'" Now, it seems pretty straightforward, right? It's kind of the basic do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's this universal law of sowing and reaping. Uh, the idea is that when I am kind and loving and forgiving to somebody, then I will receive kindness and love and forgiveness from somebody else. Or when I am kind and loving and forgiving to others, then God will be kind and loving and forgiving to me. You, you reap what you sow, essentially, uh, on the 31st of August, I planted some things into my garden. I planted uh, one thing in particular, was pumpkin seeds, and a couple of weeks now have passed, and you'll never guess what I got growing up out of my garden. Turnips, <laughs> uh, uh, pumpkin vines. I got pumpkin vines. Uh, I got pumpkin vines. And so in uh, like 100 something else more days from now, I'm hoping to get a big pumpkin right around Thanksgiving. That's my goal. That's my plan. It's weird how that works, right? The seeds that you plant grow into the thing that the seed is. So when it comes to something like love and kindness and forgiveness, like the question is what kind of seeds are we planting in our life? When it comes to being merciful, when it comes to mercy, planting seeds of mercy, if I plant seeds of mercy, I will reap the, 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 the result of that seed that I've planted. So the big question, though, is like, well, what then is mercy? Like, how, how do we define that better? If I'm going to plant that seed of mercy, I need to know what that is. So here's how uh, our, our English language defines mercy. Compassionate or kindly forbearance shown towards an offender an enemy or an other person in one's power. This to me is interesting because it would seem to be, based on that definition, that mercy is really only mercy when there's some sort of enmity in the relationship, right? This isn't just being kind and loving towards strangers or towards people you know. This is, uh, there's, You're at odds with somebody. There's been some sort of hurt, some sort of pain. You've been done wrong. Maybe you vehemently oppose what they stand for. There's some sort of tension there. It's only mercy if there's this kind of thing within the relationship. So basically, it's like being kind and loving and forgiving towards those that you find it the hardest to be kind and loving and forgiving towards, right? Do you see like how this could be kind of a a difficult thing? Is there anybody right now in your life or in your world that you're struggling to show these things to? Is there anybody in your life that you're struggling to love, struggling to be patient with, struggling to show kindness towards, struggling to give the benefit of the doubt? Is there anybody that you immediately, when you hear them talk or see what they're saying or see what they post on Facebook, you react and you bristle and you're like, by the way, hey, did you guys know that there's like a a presidential election coming up? (laughs) If if only like the Bible had some wisdom and insight for how we could learn to deal with one another in a hyper-politically charged environment. If only, oh well, maybe next time. In, in the Greek text, the word for, uh, for mercy is the word elimon, which is similar to our definition. In the Hebrew text, the word for mercy is this other word, this big word. It's hasid. This is what hasid, uh, I don't think I sent the definition. Hasid is like this deep, like heavy compassion. No, not that one, not that one. Is that? No, no, not, not that yet. Not, yet, not yet. We'll come back to that. It's this deep com- conviction, connection, concern, like a covenant love it's this unbreakable love for others. Hasid is like this big, heavy word. Um, William Barclay, in his commentary, he talks about Hasid like this. This is how he would define uh, Hasid. It's the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. This is a, this is a tough one. This is a tough tough one. It's more than just learning to show kindness and compassion, uh, forgiveness to an offender or an enemy. This is like next next level stuff. This is beyond learning to love somebody externally or love them at a distance. This is deliberate effort to care so deeply for somebody else that you're willing to let go of your own thoughts, your concerns, your issues, and open yourself up to stepping into their shoes to see things and understand things from their perspective, even when it may be different than our own, even when they may have caused us pain, even when we may completely disagree with them. I mean, this sounds like a lot. Do you know? This, like, I, I don't know if I'm actually up for all of that, because this is going to require a great deal from me. Besides, why would I need to do that if I'm pretty much usually right, (laughs) right? Why why would I need to do that? Why why would I want to do that? If I do that, it's going to be difficult for me to like label or criticize or villainize somebody that I don't align with or disagree with. If I do that, then I'm going to have like Less enemies? And then who would I fight against? Who would I shoot back and forth, you know, messages on Facebook? Who would, if I do that, it, it's just, it's a lot. So if I take this Hasid version of mercy and kind of apply it to this passage, the passage might sound a bit like this. Blessed are those who make a deliberate effort to identify and understand the ones who have hurt you or who disagree with you for the sake of love and forgiveness. Again, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm, if I'm quite there. I don't know if, I, if, I'm, if I'm ready to take that step because that seems like a hard thing to do. It's difficult to see things from a perspective that isn't mine. It's difficult to understand your perspective and why you see things that way. I mean, have you ever wondered why that is? Like, why is it hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of others for the sake of understanding? Why is it so difficult for us to be merciful towards others? Maybe you don't wrestle with this. Maybe you don't struggle with this. Maybe you've already achieved sainthood. And that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. For the rest of us, for the rest of myself, mercy can be a bit difficult, especially in this way of understanding it, putting myself in your shoes to order, in order to understand maybe why we're having this animosity in order so that we can maybe I can be kind and forgiving towards you in this situation. This past weekend, uh, just when Hank was preaching, Jess and I went to the beach with some friends. We got to have a kid-free beach weekend. Yes. Talk about some good times, right? Like, that was a much-needed break. Just get the kids. I love them, but sometimes, you know, they're great, but get out. Uh, So we go to the beach, and and I'm, I'm like, ready for peace and relaxation, and school's kicking back up, so we're trying to get in that routine, and now we've got baseball, and we've got this thing. It's like, okay, we just just need some space. So we, we go to the beach, and... It was really great, except for this, like, one thing. And, like, if you're looking for peace and relaxation, might I suggest not going to, like, the Daytona Beach Shores area during truck week? (laughs) Right? Now, I got nothing against trucks. I love trucks. I got a truck. Cool. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm a big fan of trucks. What I'm not a fan of, however, is... Hundreds of trucks cruising up and down the beach, revving the engines, blaring loud music, spinning the tires, the, the kind of trucks that like, um, it, like is, has an exhaust pipe the size of a watermelon and you have to get a, tr- like a ladder to get into and then it was like this giant competition to see who could be the most obnoxious. <laughs> like that's not what you would call conducive to a peaceful, relaxing beach weekend and so, so I found myself getting a bit frustrated with, with the whole scene. And to be honest, I wasn't super merciful, like, in my heart. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And I found myself, every time somebody got stuck in the sand, which was, like, every 30 minutes, I took a bit of pleasure from that. I didn't, like, nothing, like, visibly on the exterior, like, yeah, sure. but just, like, yes, like, under, underneath all of it, like, serves you right. That's what you get. Ruining my peaceful... I dropped off the kids, man. You don't even understand what it took me to get here. You know, like, I just want some peace and relaxation. Uh, I think that next time when you get stuck, I hope you can't get the truck out, and the tide comes in and pulls your truck out because I think your truck will make a beautiful artificial reef. That's... That's where I was at in this whole thing. Mercy is hard. It's hard to be difficult. So when you're looking for a nice, peaceful, relaxing weekend, uh, the truck show becomes the offender. (laughs) The truck show becomes the enemy to my peace and my relaxation. And I found it very difficult to put mercy on display or to have mercy of my heart towards I'm sure they were all wonderful people. I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. I was, I was even less merciful when it was 2 a.m. and they were all coming out of the bar and driving circles around the blocks. With like. Anyways, that's, that's my thing. Don't, I won't get you caught up in that. Uh, mercy is a hard thing. It's hard enough when it's something like maybe a little bit trivial like that. It's even more difficult when it's something deep, when it's somebody that's really hurt you or really caused you pain or really done you wrong Right? Mercy is really only mercy if, if, when there's this enmity, when there's this opposition, when, there's, when it's actually hard to forgive. That's, that's when it's difficult. And I think the reason it's difficult for us is that I think there's a couple reasons. I think one is that we are bigger fans of justice than we are mercy. Because justice is, in theory, relatively easy. There's right, there's wrong. If something's wrong, we must make it right. We like justice. We like things. There's black and white. We fix it if something's off. That makes us feel good. I like that. Serves you right. You got your truck stuck. Ruining my weekend. Right? Justice is you get what you deserve. You've destroyed my peace for the weekend. Hope your truck rusts from salt water. (laughs) I think sometimes we love justice. I think uh, we think of, you know, the Bible talks about God being just and and, and I think that's okay, I understand that. God is a just God. We We like to think of God sometimes primarily as a God of justice. He's gonna make things right, especially if we think we're on the inside, then he's gonna make things right for us. There's a justice component to our thinking about economics in our culture, right? You get what you deserve, so you work hard, there will be a reward. If you don't work hard, then you shouldn't receive. We have these justice tendencies all throughout our levels of society. What makes justice so difficult, or what makes mercy so difficult, is that it's not justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, or not giving someone what you think they deserve. This is why it's tough. I think Jesus knew this and understood this. I think He knew and understood that we would struggle with this. That's why in Matthew chapter nine, He's talking to the disciples. He says this little thing. You may have heard this before, but but I want to come at it a slightly different angle. Watch what He says. Uh, This is the top ones in NIV. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners. The message says it this way: Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. Take it easy, the message. I thought church was for us, you know what I'm saying? So Jesus says, there's a scripture, he's actually quoting Hosea chapter six, verse six, where God is speaking to the people and God says this thing. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, uh, a lot of times I've heard that passage used in light of like, um, something that I do to sacrifice something, like sacrificial giving, sacrifice my time, and the idea is God wants mercy, not like that's the, uh, the, the, the higher thing than like sacrificing myself or my time. But you have to remember, this is like coming out, of the, this is a quote from the Old Testament, and Jesus is quoting it to people who would have been familiar with the temple system of the sacrifices. So what was the sacrifice about? Well, the sacrifice, there was five different sacrifices. We talked about this in Leviticus. Should we go back to the Leviticus series, by the way? We had talked about that the other day. We still got like two more parts. It's been a bit. Anyways, there's five like sacrifices. The first three are voluntary, and like in order to express gratitude and thanks. The the last two are you know, like the sin, the guilt offering. They are about something's wrong. Uh, I've I've done something wrong to a fellow person in my tribe, my brother, my sister, whatever, or I've somehow offended or stepped uh, out of out of line of what God has instructed me to do. And so the sacrifice was there's something off, there's something wrong and something needs to be made right. So the sacrifice carries this justice component to it. And so in order to make things right, I need to offer this sacrifice to make this relationship right, to make this thing with God right so that things will be just and justice will be served. There's this equality, there's this fairness. So the, sacri- the sacrifice is really about making this transaction. The sacrifice is about making things right. It's justice, it's there's a price that must be paid to make this work out. And so I think because of our personal desires, our personal leanings towards things like justice, and a tradition of thinking that paints God like primarily as transactional, I think we've created major hurdles and obstacles for our understanding of mercy and what it looks like and how it's carried out. Right? Transactional thinking is like this dualistic way of being. There's this and that. There's right and wrong. There's in and out. There's heaven and hell. There's God, God and the devil. There's black and white. And then mercy comes along in all this like clean line, black and white thinking and says, uh, maybe it's, maybe there's more to it. Maybe it's a bit more gray than we've thought. You are not going to get what you deserve. Oh, wait, no, it's black and white. It's right and wrong. It's justice. It's things must be equal. We must, Mercy says, no, 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 you're not getting what you deserve. And not getting what you deserve or not giving people what they deserve or what we think they deserve can be tough for us. How many people do you know, maybe you would even put yourself in this category, have been a Christian for a long time, accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, been buried with him in the waters of baptism, you've, done, you've gone through, you've done all this stuff, and yet you still struggle to find or feel forgiven. Or you still wrestle with uh, extreme amounts of guilt or shame over something in the past, or you find yourself continually waiting for the other shoe to drop. How many people, maybe you would put yourself in this category, still carry weight from the past? You haven't been able to move on. Or even now you mess up or you do something wrong and you're looking over your shoulder to see if God's out to get you. I would suggest that we haven't fully understood the depths of the freedom and forgiveness of God. That that is mercy. That the mercy of God, uh, it, it has been. we've struggled with fully understanding that, which is why Jesus says, why Jesus quotes Hosea, why Jesus quotes God through the book of Hosea saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right, so in order for me to be merciful, if that's the passage he's giving us, be blessed are those who are merciful, so you will be shown mercy. In order for me to be merciful, I must first fully understand mercy. If I still carry the weight of guilt, burden, the burden of sin, if I'm still holding on to the things of the past, if I'm unable to believe or step into or feel or receive forgiveness that I'm offered through these things, or if I think I need to be punished for each and every mistake I've made, then I haven't understood mercy. If I still live with like a a tit for tat mindset, then I haven't understood mercy. And if I haven't understood mercy, it's gonna be very difficult for me to put mercy on display. To be fully merciful to others, isn't it? Another reason I think we struggle with mercy goes back to the very first beatitude that we talked about in week two, which is blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we keep coming back to this idea of attachment and detachment. Mercy is difficult for me to receive if I am still attached to my ego. It's it's the self, it's the ego that makes it very difficult for us to receive a gift. Because it's the ego and the self that feels that we have to earn something. I have to earn the grace. I have to earn the mercy. I have to earn the forgiveness. And these things, mercy, grace, these things are not things that are earned. And so it's only when we die to the self, when I detach from myself, that I can fully grasp, begin to grasp the concepts, the depth of mercy. I think this is what a lot of us struggle with. We struggle with receiving a gift for free. We struggle with receiving mercy and grace because we maintain this transactional mindset. How many of you have had somebody do something really nice as a gesture, as a, as a free gift, as a, and then immediately thought, I need to do something to repay them? How many of you have ever received something? Uh, you get so, somebody does something nice for you, gives you a gift, whatever, cleans up your house on a whim. Just throwing out suggestions. <laughs> uh, and then immediately you have to write a thank you note and then see how you can, even last night, uh, uh, this is my wife's birthday, happy birthday to my darling wife. Um, we went out for dinner and we were with some friends and somebody picked up our meal. And I thought, oh, that was awesome. Okay, now what do I need to do to make, right? What do I need to do for them now to bring this relationship back to equal? Why couldn't I just receive the gift? Because there's something within me, this ego, this pride, that if I do not detach from it, it will never allow me to fully receive. I think I have to earn it. So this beatitude, the very first one, uh, blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit is about letting go of the self and about letting go of the stuff and, and it's about dying to the self and receiving the gift that is offered to us and we struggle with that even though it's funny because that's like the thing that Jesus invites us to do. That's like the invitation of Jesus, die to yourself. And this, it's the death of the self, the death of the ego, the death of the pride that is actually like the starting point to the rest of this thing that we're calling a better way. The death of the self and the stuff, the ego, the pride, that's the thing that like opens us up to the kingdom of God. Now I wanna show you something uh, and this maybe will help us understand, understand this a little bit better because I think if you can get this uh, like not just in your brain but like in, in your being, if you can get this, this is like the big thing. <laughs> no pressure. Hope I don't screw this up. This is the big thing. Uh, I was doing some studies this week, and one of the things, uh, one of the guys that I was reading talked about was um, how mercy is a way for us to begin to understand the mystery of forgiveness. And he said, um, mercy is not something that God just does from time to time, but rather mercy is who God is. I thought, wow, that's pretty heavy. So um, I thought maybe this would be a good way to kind of put this on example because I know when you think mercy, you think Russian nesting dolls. (laughs) So this is a Russian nesting doll that is actually from, in fact, Russia. Uh, This was given to my younger sister Hannah by my father. He took a trip there to do some teaching and stuff. Uh, It says Kiev, Ukraine, um, the year 2002. 18 years old, this little, this little lady here. Um, and I thought this might be a really kind of interesting illustration. Can you guys see, do I need to turn the table? Are we good? There we go. Uh, so there was this guy who was an American Trappist monk. Uh, he goes by the name of Thomas Merton. And in 19, uh, he was born in 1915, he began to do like his major writing and stuff in like 1940, 1950, 1960. Uh, and when he became a monk, he went to the monastery and began to learn all this kind of stuff. And he wrote this particular book that's kind of like a journal of his like process and everything that he went through and learning about God and all this interesting stuff. And so in this book, it's called, uh, it's called the, uh, the Sign of Jonas, he's kind of like pouring out everything that he's learned. And in the book, he describes God in this really... It's still going, by the way. Do you see this? Um, He describes God in this really interesting and fascinating way. Is there one more? There is. Oh, my gosh. And here's the rest of the sermon because it's going to take us four years to put it back together. All right. There we have it. So he has this really interesting way to describe God. And he said, essentially, this is like essential for how we should understand God from his perspective. He said, in order to understand God, we have to think of God in terms of mercy within mercy within mercy. Mercy within mercy within mercy, what is mercy? Compassion, kindly forbearance towards an offender, towards the enemy, towards someone in your care. It is getting into somebody's skin to see things from their perspective, even if it's not your own, so that you can respond to them and treat them in a human sort of way. And so I thought, well, maybe this is like a wonderful display So let's say, for example, let's say this little guy is you. Uh, Can you see it on my hyper-patterned shirt? (laughs) They won't zoom in this, sorry. It's very small for those of you who are here. Um, Let's say this is you. And let's say, like, this is who God is. When we let go of the self and we let go of the stuff, we realize, first of all, that we're much smaller than we think we are. We're never as big as important as we think we are, but when I step into this deeper understanding of God who is mercy, that mercy is not just something that God does, but mercy is something that God is, then I step into mercy that is within mercy, that is within mercy. mercy i bet you'll never guess what's next. That's within mercy. 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 Now this, this is a deep, profound, freeing way to think about the nature of God and who God is and who you are in relationship to God. Because here's the thing, when you understand mercy within mercy within mercy, what you will understand is that you can't fall out of this. You are sitting in the center of layer after layer after layer of the mercy of God, the one who doesn't give you what you deserve. When you understand this level, this depth of mercy, it allows you to operate out of a new place. It allows you to have this as your foundation, understanding what you have received and what you have been given. And when you understand that you cannot fall out of this mercy, it allows you to put that kind of mercy on display. Let me show you this quote real quick that I found that went along with this, that I love this. Uh, it says, we do not attain anything by our own holiness. But by 10,000 surrenders to mercy, a lifetime of received forgiveness allows you to become mercy. That's the beatitude. You become forgiveness because it's the only thing that makes sense to you, the only thing that's alive within you. Mercy becomes your energy, your meaning. Perhaps we are finally enlightened and free when we can both receive it and give it away without payment or punishment. Mercy within mercy within mercy. You see, in order for me to understand, to be, in order for me to be merciful, I need to step into and accept the mercy of God because until I get to that depth of understanding, I will continually come up short in my ability to put it on display. Let me give you one more thought here. Uh, That word that we mentioned, hasid, the Hebrew word for mercy, can bring that back up. The ability to get right inside another person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, feel things with his feelings. So not only is God this picture of mercy within mercy within mercy, Essential and central to our understanding of God. God also gives us this supreme example of mercy, of hasid, of getting into somebody else's shoes for the sake of understanding the other. The prime example, what we have of this, is God sending his son, Jesus, the one who took on the flesh and blood of humanity the one who stepped into our skin, saw things with our eyes, thought things with our brains, felt things with our feelings. This is the ultimate act of mercy, that God became one of us, that God came to man not as a distant, removed kind of God, but one who showed up in our shoes. The incarnation is the ultimate act and example Of mercy and if we fail to understand that we will fail to understand this concept of mercy within mercy within mercy and if we fail to understand that it's going to be very difficult for us to live in the modality of mercy that mercy is what I have become you see but the beauty of this here is that when we can begin to like wrap our tiny little brains around this this idea of mercy this idea of I cannot fall out of this, the idea of God is that mercy within mercy within mercy, then it allows me to operate in this way that I can now put that sort of display of mercy to others. And it becomes this beautiful dance that I receive from God, this endless 10,000 surrenders to mercy that I can now put on display 10,000 surrenders to uh, to mercy to others. And I don't know about you, but... If there's anything that I think our world needs about now, it might be mercy. It might be mercy. I think we could use a whole lot of it. But the thing is, in order for the world to experience this level of mercy, it needs a lot more people like you and me to understand this depth of love. This, this depth of love that's difficult for us to, to understand. I mean, can you imagine if like a whole group of people began to operate in a way that we didn't give everybody what we thought they deserved? What if a, a whole group of people begin to operate in a way that we were showing kindness and love and forbearance and forgiveness, not just to others, not just to strangers, but to the people who hurt us, or to the people who caused you pain, or the people you disagree with, or the people you might have a difference of political opinion. Imagine if your primary way of thinking shifted from justice to mercy. What would that even look like? Here's the thing about mercy. Mercy is entirely unfair. Mercy is entirely unfair. Well, they did it to me, so I have to do it to them, and they need to know who they're messing with, and you're not going to push me around. What would it look like for someone to offend you or hurt you or cause you pain, and then rather coming back at them with clenched fist? You didn't have to get even. You didn't have to give them what they deserve. What if instead you operated out of a place of mercy and then you just simply pass that mercy along? Like what if what if mercy is the thing that's beyond justice? This is difficult. If you've noticed, by the way, in the Beatitudes, there is not one that says blessed are the just. Blessed are those who bring justice. There's blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful. See, justice is about making things right. Justice is about bringing equality and fairness, and mercy is not that. Mercy is entirely unfair. You don't get what you deserve. You don't get what you deserve. I mean, ultimately, isn't that the good news? Isn't that the good news of the message of the gospel of Jesus? And then beyond mercy is that which is grace, which is mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Isn't that the message? Mercy within mercy within mercy is entirely unfair. And that's who God is because God loves without condition. And this same God has invited you to be a part of the kingdom, to be a part of his family. You see, until we understand mercy within mercy within mercy, it will be very difficult for us to put this on display. But if we can begin to step into this, if we can begin to realize that I am just the little guy wrapped in layer after layer after layer of not getting what I deserve, then it allows me to live with the security to also not give people what they deserve. The security in which I know I can never fall out of this, so I can go ahead and be kind and be loving and be forgiving to even the biggest of jerks in my life to those who have hurt me the deepest, to those who have caused me the most pain, to those who their face causes me to cringe, and the sound of their name or their voice causes me to get a bit upset. Jesus is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Do you see how profound of an idea and a thought this actually is? that underneath layer after layer of mercy, you are there. Do you see how this understanding might actually cause you to like, have to rethink a few things about how we live, about how I treat others, about the situation that I find myself in, about the time that I thought I was wronged and I wanted to do something about it to let them know they can't treat me that way. You see? This mercy within mercy within mercy Is a part of the gospel message The good news of Jesus That says yeah You don't get what you deserve And I imagine If we like began to take these teachings of Jesus Serious That it could like You know change the world Blessed are the merciful For they will be shown mercy You live that way What you will discover that this whole thing is in fact a better way